How many of you remember, or you know, maybe your, your school did this or maybe your school didn't. My school had something called field day. Do you remember, you remember that? If you remember field day, go ahead and drop that down in the comments. What they would do is they would divide the school into two different teams. And one had a color, uh, maybe a red, and the other had a color like blue. And I don't know about you, but I always uh, would try and position myself just right so that I could be on like my best friend's team. You know, they'd be like one, two, one, two, and I'd try and figure out how I could get on the team I wanted to, but it never seemed to work out for me. But they'd play games like a balloon toss or, uh, you know, maybe uh, a relay races. And the big event at the end for us was always steal the bacon and we'd use this big car tire out on the soccer field. At the beginning of the day, you kind of felt like, oh, this is kind of lame. It's kind of silly. But by the end of the day, you're chanting your team's name and foaming at the mouth. And at the very end, at the, you know, the culmination of it all, you end up in a fist fight with your best friend because they said that your team, the blue team, cheated at steal the bacon. You know, it's kind of funny what happens to the human psyche when you divide it into groups. Before long, you figure out that your group is us and the other group is them. And your group is the good guys and the other group is the bad guys. And you begin defending your group even if you know your group is wrong. And you stand up for your group no matter what because at least they aren't them. And it all becomes about us and them. And then the next step is you begin to accuse people in your own group of being them if they say something that's outside what you believe. You don't agree with it. And you dismiss their ideas by accusing them of being a traitor to the other side. We're still talking about field day, right? Let me insert this right here before we go any further. I'm sure you've seen the title of the message, Christian and Politics. I have no intention on telling you who to vote for. In fact, uh, because of the fact that we're a nonprofit organization, I'm fairly certain that that would be illegal. Also, I don't have any answers in uh, the political world. So I wouldn't even begin to do that anyhow. But I do know this. This is what I do know about politics. I know that it can be divisive. I know it can be dirty. I know it can break relationships with people, and I know how you approach politics can affect your ability to give someone the gospel. Now, I'm proud to be a part of a church that is uh, diverse when it comes to political backgrounds. We've got Democrats, and we've got Republicans, and we've got independents. I think we even have a few in the Whig Party, maybe even a few Federalists, and that's, that's great. It's an awesome thing. Romans 15.5 says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice, one voice glorify God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
So when us versus them is so strong, how can we possibly live in harmony with one another? How can we have one voice and be together in unity in a church? How is this possible? Well, one, one way that we can do that is we can stop mischaracterizing each other, right? Mischaracterization is a form of lying. When you paint someone as having opinions that you know that they don't have, or you group them together with a group of people as a way to put them down and to discount their ideas. And mischaracterization is a thing that we see all the time right now. But that is a form of lying. And you know, when you really talk to people, you get past the rhetoric and and you get past all the cliches, you know, I don't really find a lot of people that are actually that excited about their uh, party and their candidate, especially in these last couple of elections. We need to be honest about that. Lead with that. There's some things that I really don't like about fill in the blank. Don't ask, act as if that person could do no wrong. Don't defend, defend flaws. That just makes you seem silly and insincere. And if we're really honest and we know history enough, both parties have participated in some terrible and heinous things. Slavery, the trail of tears, class warfare. And we need to realize that people don't fit into these boxes that we have made. Today in society's eyes, you're either a liberal snowflake or you're an ultra-right-wing conservative. But that's not honest. That's not true. We would be better to listen and ask questions with a curious, empathetic tone. There's an organization called uh, Hidden Tribes, and they did a uh, poll the whole year of 2018. And they tried to figure out where people fell on the political spectrum. And they had seven different categories. And 8% of them fell into the hyper-liberal category. And 6% fell in the hyper-conservative category. So what does that tell us? That tells us the majority of us is somewhere in between. We're somewhere in the middle. But our side tells us that the most extreme of the other side is taking over the world. And they use fear to keep us loyal to our tribe. And because of this, maybe you felt how I feel. I feel a little bit politically homeless, right? I care about unborn children. And I care about the the school children that doesn't have lunch. I care about biblical marriage and about what's right and what the Bible says. But I also care about people and and about loving people right where they're at. And not hating uh, the sinner, but hating the sin. Founding father John Adams said this. He says, a division of the republic into two great parties is to be dreaded as the great political evil. And that's where we are today. We've made this us versus them. My team is better than the other team. And everybody in the other team, no matter the reason they're there or not, is evil. But we're all good. And we begin to care more about winning than anything, even more than people. Tim Keller says the Bible shows believers as holding important posts in pagan governments. Think about Joseph and Daniel in the Old Testament. Christians should be involved politically as a way of loving our neighbor, whether they believe as we do or not. 
to work for better public schools or for a justice system not weighted against the poor or to end racial segregation requires political engagement. Christians have done these things in the past and we will continue to do so. William Wilberforce was a faithful Christian that fought to abolish slavery. Catherine Booth helped found the Salvation Army and also fought for women's rights. Fannie Lou Hamer was a devout Baptist that helped Southern African Americans fight Jim Crow and register to vote. She also fought against police brutality and the involuntary sterilization of women. Joseph used his political post to help feed starving people. Daniel used his influence to fight for religious freedom. Paul used his Roman citizenship to spread the gospel. Moses used his place in the palace to help free slaves. Nehemiah used his political position to protect people, uh, the people of Jerusalem and to build infrastructure. So the answer is not to completely disengage politically, but the question is this, is what is our motivation? Is our motivation just to put more money in our pockets? Is our motivation to win and to beat them in this club that we've uh, joined? Or does our political motivation line up with the greatest command to love God and love our neighbor? We've got to remember that love is an action word. That means it takes more than just saying it. It means we have to follow through. We need to be aware of what's going on around us and engage with it. But a vote isn't enough. You have to step out of your house and go down the street and knock on a door and make a call and help someone and engage civically by engaging with people. See, a Christian must put our witness before our political win. Because these political wins won't last. In every single election, they tell us that this is the most important election that we've ever had in our whole entire lifetime. But yet, another four years, another one comes, and then that one's the most important. But you know what's more important than all of that is that there are souls that are dying. And there are people that don't know that God loves them. We've got to put our witness on the front of who we are, because that is the thing that will last for eternity. And then we have to realize that people want to use the church. People want to use Christians to gain political power. And so that means they might not always be sincere when they say they're on the side of the Bible. They might just be trying to get us to pick sides. And historically, this has worked, right? Some churches have supported and stood by when terrible things have happened in this country. So where does that leave us? Is there a place where I can believe in a universal right and wrong, but yet still believe in compassion and forgiveness and grace? Is there a place like that? Yes. But it's not a political party. And it doesn't have candidates and it doesn't have a campaign headquarters. But this place does have a mission statement and it's found in Micah 6.8. The prophet Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is known as the great requirement. And just like the great commandment, it takes action. 
Just like the great commandment of loving God and loving our neighbor, this great requirement takes us doing something to fight for justice, to fight for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. To do justice. The next requirement is to love kindness. Now, kindness is not something that is normative right now. It's not uh, commonplace to see people that are kind, especially when someone else is not being kind to them. It's definitely not something we see in the political arena. But as Christians, we should be kind. (laughs) It seems kind of funny even to have to say that, but if you look around you, it's not happening. Do justice, love kindness. And lastly, this great requirement tells us to walk humbly with our God, letting God lead you, realizing on your own that you will fail and that you're not better or you're not more holy than anyone else, that you're just a humble follower of God and you don't have it all put together. You don't have it all right. All you have is you have God's word to lean on and you have a savior that loves you. And those things are true for everyone else in this world too. If only they would trust and believe. Isaiah 59, 14 describes how God feels when he sees injustice in a land. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares. Does that sound familiar at all right now? Uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Here we see a picture of God seeing injustice, and he asked why nobody was doing anything about it, and then he himself stepped in. Isn't it weird that we would believe that our superheroes that we've made up would stand for truth and justice, and yet our God wouldn't ask us to do the very same thing? Jeremiah told the exiled people of God this. They were in a different country. They had uh, been forced to leave their land. And they're in this land that had conquered them. And, and they, they didn't know how to feel about this. But Jeremiah 29, 7, the prophet tells them to seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So we see that being a Christian doesn't mean that we aren't involved in society and we aren't involved in politics. It means that you have a purpose, a purpose in politics, namely to love God, love your neighbor, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. So no, I'm not politically homeless. Now, I might not fit neatly into a secular political party, but I am part of something that will last so much longer. My citizenship is in heaven, and I'm a Christian, period. No other name describes me. Now, a Christian might find themselves very involved in politics, but hopefully using that tool to love God 
and to help people and ultimately leverage that tool to further the mission of the gospel. All the while, being careful not to fall into the trap of us and them. Because even if all of us were saved on fire Christians and all of them were non-believers, that is our mission. Our mission is to go and tell them and to win them, not to argue with them and to uh, polarize them far away to where we can never tell them about Jesus. It won't be easy. In order to approach politics biblically, you might not just be able to check every box with your letter next to it. You might have to just pray and, and think and study past the political talking points, listening to what people actually have to say. There might even be a time where you have to listen humbly to the other side of the argument and understand why people are thinking the way, the way that they're thinking. But I want to warn you, if you don't fit neatly into a box, then people are going to mischaracterize you. You're going to get mischaracterized by people on both sides and painted as a villain. I might even get an email or two about this message because I'm, I'm claiming my Christianity over anything else. And I don't fit into something that they want me to fit into. I may even get a cliche uh, email about talking points about this is why I don't listen to that and this is why this is the most important thing ever and even more important than the gospel. They wouldn't say that out loud, but that's what they would ultimately mean. But I want to challenge you before you send that email, take your political hat off and, and go back and rewatch this with a heart that's open. See, in order to approach politics biblically, you might have to make sure that you're not jumping into the arguments in the comment section. Name-calling, insults, mischaracterizations, just trying to win an argument because someone threatened you with their opinion and their idea. Have you ever had your opinion changed on the internet by someone that you didn't even know? Probably not. But someone that sat down with you and someone that you knew loved you and cared about you and was honest with things and honest with the flaws and honest with the upsides and the downsides, that's the type of person that actually can make a difference. We're not about just trying to win. That's not Christian. It also might mean that you might need to double check your articles and your memes before you send them out. It'd be so embarrassing to put something up that was a lie and spreading false ideas. In order to approach politics biblically, you might have to ask yourself your motivation. Am I just trying to win or am I trying to be a witness? Have I fallen into the trap of us and them? Or am I humbly listening to what people are really saying? And here's the idea. If you say something back to somebody else and they, you know, when you try and repeat somebody's ideas back to them and they say, no, that's not what I mean, you're painting them wrong. If they can't agree with what you're saying they're saying, then you're twisting their words. We got to remember that God loves them. And God loves these people that we paint as the bad guy and these people that we dehumanize. God made them. He created them. He used his power to make these people. We've got to love them. 
That doesn't mean we agree all the time. We can't agree with everything that's going on in this world. This world is broken. But it means we see the bigger win. The bigger win is the gospel. So here's my political position, and I encourage you to jump on board with this, not because it's mine, but because it's biblical. And I'm, I'm attempting to order my whole entire life under these things. Politics, society, culture, everything. My life built on loving God, loving my neighbor, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with my God. I want to challenge you. These next couple months are not going to get any easier. It's going to be easy to get mad. It's going to be easy to let fear motivate you. Don't take the bait. Don't take the distraction. Don't use your influence for something that is not the priority. The gospel has got to be on the front. Don't ruin your testimony. Don't lose your temper. Don't hurt your ability to be able to spread the truth, the gospel, by jumping into an argument or painting someone as something that they're not. Because our citizenship is in heaven. And there's something so much bigger. All this is temporary. Don't let it ruin you. Don't let it give you anxiety and depression. Because we serve a God that has robbed the grave. We serve a God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to cover all of our sin. And we have a reason for hope. And we have a reason for joy. We ought to love people like Jesus loved us. Let's pray.